are starting a new four-session series, and we are thinking about money. So um, there are kind of two aspects, I think, with church where we think about money. There is the operational aspect and the pastoral aspect. And the operational is that to do what we do as a church costs money. And so with that in mind... Uh, we have a finance report for last year. So we try and do this every year, but we don't manage it every year because sometimes I just never get around to doing it. Um, so there's a finance report there. There's, I don't know how many copies, 20 or so copies. If you, if you don't get one, you can put your name down and we'll get one to you. Or there's a QR code. You can read it online if you want to. Um, so we, we, I mean, we don't pass an offering plate. We just think, you know, Money, we just want to be more of a normal part of our church life rather than a focus. So we don't often talk about it. And I don't think, I think for three years we haven't talked about the operational side so much because we haven't needed to. It didn't feel right to be asking for money if we didn't especially need it. However, this year, as we do our projection, our income is not going to be enough to cover everything we would want to do. So in the finance report, there's, I think there's four things that we would normally do, we would love to do, we think are important, but we just can't afford to do it. So we're kind of putting this out there because we love people. Part of not living on autopilot is to think, what's going on with my finances? And maybe, especially since we haven't talked about it for three years, maybe there are people who think, oh, actually, I would, I'd like to start giving or I, would like to, I need to review. Actually, I want to give a bit more to contribute to what we do here as a church. Um, so, yeah, I'm quite relaxed about uh, our finances, and if we don't get to do those things, we don't get to do them. But I just want to treat us, you know, like we're just all grown-ups here. We all make our own decisions. And so this is really between us and God and what God's calling us to do. And so that moves us into the pastoral side of money, which for these next four weeks we're going to talk about. The pastoral side is more like what does money do? What is money doing in our lives? How has it got hold of our heart? What are we thinking about money? Um, and uh, how free are we, how much control has it. And do you know, Jesus' second most talked about topic was money. So his, his primary topic he talked about, the primary subject was the kingdom of God. But the, the second most common thing he spoke about was money. Uh, and in fact, as I was kind of sat down to plan how will we do this over four weeks, the, the most overwhelming thing is there's so much that can be said about it, so much that Jesus said. So we're going to talk about the pastoral aspects. And really, we're just talking about principles of resources that we have. Money is a man-made thing. You know, we've done it, but actually it can be used. We all have these resources. So we're looking at how we treat our financial resources. But it all kind of boils down to what we do with everything. So you know the parable of the talents. That's what it's called if you... Now it's called the parable of the bags of gold, I think. Because in ancient... Egypt, no, in ancient Greece and Rome, a talent was a, was a measure of money, but then, so we have these kind of two meanings for it now. So it's quite useful if we think the parable of talents because our resources are so much more than just our finances. You know, we have so many other resources. And so these principles apply for all, but we are going to think about, um, about money specifically. And in the... Uh, one thing that the Bible does, or the way Jesus talks about money, is he talks about it as an idol, as, a, as an alternative to God. And they, 
they say that when you are dealing with counterfeits, so people who have to look for counterfeit money in banks and stuff, what they don't do is show them every possible counterfeit. What they do is they make sure you get to know the real thing really well. And so I think for the, what we want to do for these four weeks is, is kind of use the idea of thinking about God, the real, the real God, uh, so that we can recognize when money's trying to counterfeit that. And Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So Jesus is saying there's this real option in us to treat money as God, to use money as our access for security, freedom, hope, happiness, safety, value, our sense of worth, all these things. We can look to money for those things, but all those things are only truly found in God. So in this, these four sessions, we're going to think about God. We are going to think about four aspects of God that money might try and take. So God is our provider, God our security, God our example, and God our perfecter. So today we are going to think about God our provider. And we're going to look at a passage from the Old Testament. So this is the story of Abraham. He and Sarah had been told, you're going to have children. They are going to become the uh, uh, grand nation that's going to bless the whole world. The, God's plan of rescuing the world from uh, the, the effects of, of Adam and Eve's first sin, of the fall, is going to be worked out through Adam's family. They have problems having kids, and there's a whole load of drama on that. And then finally they have this kid that they call Isaac. And um, so it's all, all going well. And then God says, I want you to take Isaac and take him up to this mountain and sacrifice him. So in the Old Testament, whenever it talks about worship, we, we think about worship as singing songs, don't we? In the Old Testament, worship was taking something that was really valuable to you and killing it. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like we've but in some ways, it feels like it's easier now. <laughs> you know, we've moved on. But this idea that worship was sacrifice, it wasn't just singing. It wasn't saying certain words, sacrifice. And so this is what's going on. And um, just interestingly, before we get to this particular few verses, um, in, the, in the ancient world, the, idea, the way that you got a God's attention was you did something, you know, you, you needed God's help. You lived in a real uncertain world. You know, we kind of rationalize weather patterns and harvests and all that. But they didn't, you know, for them, everything was just kind of like a, a spiritual act. And so the way you got God's attention was you needed to, you know, like do something dramatic to get their attention. And that was how it worked in every religion. In all the, you know, you, you were going to war and you needed the God of war to be on your side. You needed to do something to win that God over. You, you're worried about the rains coming. You needed to do something to persuade that God to work on your behalf because gods didn't really care. They were just these abstracts. And then through the Bible, you start to see our God acting completely differently, not, you know, working for good, not this kind of distant, apathetic you know, unconcerned, but instead this intimately loving, concerned God. But see, the, the thing on this story that's interesting, probably for Abraham, we read it, and the idea of sacrificing your own child, we think that is awful. 
in Abraham's culture, it would have been this idea, if you need, you know, you're going to rescue the world, this is, this is a big thing. Of course, I, I've got to make a big gesture to get God to do it. The, the surprising thing for Abraham is probably less that he was asked to do this and more that he didn't have to carry it out. You know, so, so it's just our shift is a little bit culture shift because we're in such a different place. But anyway, so Abraham goes up. He ties up Isaac, ready to kill him. There's all this kind of funny stuff if you've got black sense of humor about Isaac. Like He's old. He's not like a baby. And he's asking his dad, what? Dad, we're going up to uh, do a sacrifice to the Lord, but we haven't brought a goat with us and all this. And then, and then there's a bit like he literally ties Isaac up. Isaac must be like, this seems weird. We don't normally do it this way, you know. Anyway, so he's about to do it. The knife is poised. And it says this. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So part of this other aspect of God, different from all these other, other false gods, these idols that people were trying to persuade to, you know, like some kind of superstition to get to work for them, is God starts revealing himself to people. This is what I'm like. This is how, how you can know me. This is my character that you can count on. And one of the ways he does this is with these names that he reveals, because the name sums up who he is. So Yahweh is the name from Genesis 3 when God says to Moses, I am who I am. You can't define me by anything except for myself. You can't say I'm like this or I'm bigger than that because I'm immeasurable. I am who I am, and that's the word Yahweh. And I just read a really good book, if anyone is looking for a book. God Has a Name by John Mark Comer. Really good. I just thought the, uh, the way he went through it was fantastic. All about God revealing his name. So I am who I am, Yahweh. And then Yahweh is to provide or can mean to see. So the idea come across here is God sees Abraham's need and, and, and sees to it and provides from it. And so this idea that God is a provider. And so we need to understand this is one of God's central revelations of who he is, his character. I am the God who sees and provides, and it's true for Abraham as it is for us. So we need to come from a starting point when we think about God and our, our finances, that all is God's and all comes from God. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. James 1 7, every good thing comes from God. And so one temptation we have, because we have been gifted with skills, talents, personalities, abilities, and we've been gifted with this sense of freedom and uh, free choice and self-control, is we are tempted to take God out of the picture and think that somehow we are our own provider. And even in this, um, it, God talks about this. So this is Deuteronomy 8, and it says this, He did this, so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. It's talking about, this is in context, God's talking about all the, or Moses is talking about all the past things God has done that have been great. He did this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved all this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. So all this, you know, I don't know, where your resources come from, but you might, 
you know, we, any one of us could be immensely skilled at doing something and we can do all these great things and these things have value in the capitalist system we live in and people pay you money for those things and we can think, aren't I clever that I am able to program computers, write spreadsheets, order people around, you know, whatever it is your job that you do. Um, I am able to do these things and so we feel like we have somehow this idea of earning these things because of our skills and our abilities. But we've got to get even beneath that because your ability to do all those things is a gift from God in the first place. Every single thing we have is grace. We don't deserve any of it. We can't say it's my right to be good at these things and have people pay money for these things. Every single thing comes from God. And this allows us to have a more nuanced idea about finances as well. Because the most simple idea is God's favor equals financial blessing. You know, if you're rich, well, then that's because God's blessing me. He thinks I'm good. You know, hashtag blessed life. You know, all those things. Look at my new fancy car. Hashtag living the blessed life, whatever it is. I don't do hashtags. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's, what is it? Hashtag blessed or whatever. All these ideas that, you know, financial blessing is, a, is because God thinks we're great. And it's much more nuanced, nuanced than that. Jesus wasn't rich, but his cloak was so nice that they didn't want to cut it up. You know, so he had some pretty good threads. Uh, his followers were mostly poor, but there was a set of rich women who were able to support him to do what he did. The early church was generally a poor person's religion. And actually, it kind of all went a bit wrong when it started becoming a rich person's religion. Because God's blessing, obviously, we know this, isn't primarily financial. If we thought that finances were the, were the main way God blessed us, we would be in big trouble. Money is neutral. Our choice is whether we take it to be a blessing for us and spending on ourselves. So, we th so that... You know, oh, look, isn't God's blessing I've got a 55-inch TV? You know, like these short-term temporary blessings. Because in, do you remember, who, who was so excited when they got a 32-inch TV? And, you know, like we'd moved from like these 12-inch boxes. 32 inches, amazing. And now we're like 32-inch. You know, and that's probably in a period of like 10 years. These temporary blessings we can have, we can, money used for ourselves is a blessing, but it's short-term temporary. But there is an eternal blessing when we when we engage our finances in to the kingdom into the work of God into what he would have us do with it there's nothing wrong with having a 55 inch tv but if we if that's what we think all our money is about and that's how we see God's blessing we're just missing out so if God gives if it all comes from God it's all provided by God our ability to have money and to earn money and obtain money is provided by God God gives the question then becomes, what do we do with it? And we're to be responsible. So Jesus says in Luke 16, he says this, If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustly about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? This whole idea about our life is this is a preparation. This is a way for us to discover the reality of God 
at this point, you know, before everything is revealed, before everything becomes um, fully known to us. And so this idea that what we have is we have been entrusted with it, and then what are we going to use it wisely? Are we going to be responsible? So Elon, even Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, their wealth is tiny compared to the heavenly wealth that's there. So are they going to use the, they've been entrusted with a little, and like these guys have got, you know, a lot more than us. So imagine how little we might think ours is. Are we going to be, uh, are we going to be responsible and faithful with the little God's given us so he can trust us with so much more? And so today I thought uh, just a little way of thinking about practical about this. Um, and I'm very aware that I might be, uh, you know, lots of you will be way ahead of this than me, but I just felt like it would be good to just talk through some practical things about how we deal with money because uh, it might benefit some, it might give an idea to, to others, and I think you're just, you know, it just feels like good luck or blessing if you, if you are taught how to be responsible with finances. I, I was never taught, and, and, it, and I feel fortunate I just learnt through circumstances but it's kind of one of these things that we kind of take for granted, I think, or, or feels like an invisible thing. So um, before Sarah and I got married, so we got married 23 years ago, we were given £300 for, towards her wedding dress. So I paid that into my bank account. Uh, and then like four or five months later, Sarah went to buy the wedding dress and she said, OK, I need the £300. And I went and asked the bank, and they said, we don't have the £300. Because over those four months, I had spent it on stuff without realizing it. And I'd done the total thing where we want to use money as a type of God. Because I had used that money over that time of, like, we'd had a, ba- you know, like, it wasn't going well. So, oh, let's just go to the pub. Come on, let's just have a nice time. Or we'll get a takeaway. Or, or you know, I bought this thing, you know, that will make us feel better in the short term. And without realizing it, I had just gone through those 300 pounds. So we had a, like, interesting discussion <laughs> at that time. And uh, for a number of years, I was banned from dealing with our finances until there was a, a similar situation that Sarah let our finances slip and all that. So we kind of, um, we kind of had to grow up about how we, tr- how we were in charge of our money because the worst thing I think with your finances and you know I don't know maybe you guys are all on top of it and this is like absolute pointless communicating this but there may be people here who just feel totally out of control with your finances and you can then get into a situation if you don't know what's going on in your finances your finances end up controlling you instead of you controlling them um I really feel like I was going to say something and I've just forgotten what it was then. So, um, so if, we, if we don't know what's going on with our finances, I guess most of us started our financial understanding with that thing of when you went to the ATM and press request balance and you're like, do I have money? Please say I have money. I really want to have some money. They print out, oh, I don't have any money. <laughs> like this. You know, like just working out how much have I got in the bank? What does that mean? And of course, um, our finances are so complicated now. You know, when I first got my own money, I was given it in an 
in an envelope in cash. You know, you knew how much you got. Now it goes in the bank, and it might not it might say it's in the bank, but really it's going out of the bank before you even know it. You know, all this thing. It might not. It might be coming in, but it doesn't show it yet, and all those things. So we need to kind of get much more oversight of what we're doing. And the first thing to think about is debt. It's so easy to get into debt. You know, the system is made. I mean, we are. In society, they want us as consumers. That's it. We want, we want to be people that are buying stuff. And so they make debt really easy to get because that will enable us to be consumers. And often with debt, it is the promise of easy fulfillment. You know, the, the easiest or the most unhealthy way to get into debt is just think, I want that thing and I want it now. I don't want it in six months after I've saved up for it because I want it now. And so we get into debt from that. And we end up a bit like a spoiled child if we live like that. And so part of what we're going to talk about over these four weeks, not especially today, is that idea of how actually living life within limitations is an act of discipleship for us. This is a way that God wants to use our finances to build the character of Christ in us so that we don't end up as spoiled childs. So one thing, if we take responsibility for all that God gives us, for some of us might be thinking about, I need to take my debt seriously and work out how I'm going to sort that out and what, dif- what I'm going to do for that. And all of this takes planning and oversight. And so planning is a spiritual exercise. If you're from like a super charismatic church background, the idea of planning anything feels like, you know, we're not allowed to do that. That's not spiritual because the Holy Spirit needs to prompt me to do everything. Well, maybe the Holy Spirit's prompting you to plan because it's fine. You're allowed to plan. And, um, and when it comes to finances, well, technology's just made it much easier now than before. So the simplest way of doing your money management used to be when you were paid in, you know, notes is you'd have like four or five different pots and you'd go through your pay packet and put them into pots. Well, it's really easy to do that now with modern banking because you can have these saving pots usually in your in your bank account. And if you're in a and if you think this would be useful and you're in a bank that doesn't do that, just change banks. And I haven't done it, but apparently it's really easy now. So there's lots of uh, really good systems, but this is our post-wedding dress gate scandal system to do. So every month we have those bills, mortgage, broadband, mobile phone bills, water, gas, and electric. They all come out automatically. I know that's going to happen. But then each month we move like little pot packets of money into these different pots. We have e-savings in, with our bank account. And this all happens automatically because it's planned out. So we have contingency payments. We, pa- we pay stuff into, we've got an account called Dog Fund because our dog... It's a pain. <laughs> and, uh, and car accounts. So we just move a little bit each month into these accounts. They're contingencies. We don't know if we're going to have a spending. And, even, and so the spending could be more than's in there, but this would soften the blow. But there might be enough if a tire needs replacing or uh, we just want a new dog. <laughs> we don't know. So st- stuff like that. So we have these contingency ones that, g- that build up gradually. Then we have saving pots for annual expenses that every month they pay into to set aside a large annual bill that we know is coming. So we have one for holiday and Christmas spending a little bit each month. So when we hit the summer for the holiday and Christmas, there's some money there. We have an account that fills up for the kids' bus passes a little bit each month to go in because it's, ch- it's cheaper to pay 
annually for the bus passes and termly, so we're saving a little bit of money doing that. And I have some money that goes into account for my tax that I have to pay at the end of the year. Sarah and I both have pocket money accounts. So we have a little bit, not enough, I don't think, of money that goes into our individual accounts. And that's where we can buy clothes or books or stuff, or Sarah buys her wool. She's really into knitting now. Um, so those kind of things, that's where it comes out of there. Then we have a whole different bank account that we put some money in each month for our general, general costs of living. So it's like household equipment, school uniforms, going out, things like that. Once it's gone, it's gone. So that starts at the start of the month. And usually by halfway through the month, we're like, well, we're not going out. <laughs> and you're going to have to wear those shoes till the end of the month. You know, so, we, so we're in control of how much that does. And then finally, we have a credit card that we put all our groceries and petrol on. And that just means that we know how much we're spending on this kind of like very variable thing. Uh, we can monitor it during the month. We have this ideal kind of like this is, we don't really want to go above this. And so we can then at a certain point say, okay, well, we just need to have beans on toast or whatever. So uh, we have a sense of that. And all these happen at different dates, like our, our credit card statements on the 21st. So that's when it resets. But then it doesn't take payment. It gets paid full. It doesn't take payment till the 16th of the next month. And then that's caught me out because I thought, oh, we've got this money. Look, because I've gone back into, you know, like looking at the balance. Oh, we've got this money and forgetting that this money needs to come out so I can pay that ahead of time so I don't get confused. And then finally, we, although I say finally, because I, I shouldn't say finally, this should be one of the first things. We have our money that we give away. So we give we tithe to Exeter Vineyard with a couple of other things we give away to as well. And this is an interesting one because people, I've had this said to me a few times, that people don't like to automate their giving, giving away because it doesn't feel, I don't really feel it. It's not spiritual enough, you know. I want to give away. And then what does tend to happen, I think, is it's so easy then not to do it because there's always more month than money and there's always more things that we want. And so if we're leaving something to like, well, if I'll wait to the end. If I've got some left, I'll give it away. Or I'm going to, you know, I need to feel the pain of giving it away. Like we would never, can you imagine going to your bank and saying, I really want to feel like I appreciate my house. So I'm going to pay my mortgage every month with five pound notes, okay? I'm not going to set up a standing order. I, I promise I will come in and pay it. So, uh, so I just think you don't need to, I mean, you know, I don't, you know, make your own decisions with your money and like how you how you want to engage your heart into what you're doing. But um, but I don't think we sh this idea of spontaneity sometimes is a, a full red herring. I think so. Planning allows us to set our priorities and values in our finances, and that's one of our questions: is is the things that we think are important and values to us? Would is that reflected in our bank statements? And so we have the choice to step into that. And not doing anything about it is making a choice. The choice is to do nothing about it. So I want to, um, want to finish on another thing that Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke. He says, when someone has been given much, much more will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be entrusted. I think this idea, these words, given and entrusted, is a great way to start our thinking about our finances. We have been given this generously by God. We have been given all our resources, and they are entrusted to us in this temporary life that we are living. 
it helps us, I think, step away. There's this delusional idea that we're doing okay because we are wonderful, which then it's kind of the, its cousin is this idea that people who aren't doing well are either lazy or stupid. You know, and all this thing, there's no grace or humility attached to either of those ideas. We have to realize that it's God working in us. And it's hard for us to be grateful if we think we are wonderful, if we think we are the hero of our story, instead of realizing that God is. So I want us to, over these four weeks, to consider our finances. What does it mean to put God in the center? What does it mean for us to be in control of our finances instead of them being a mess? And what is the prompt God has for us? If we are struggling with debt, might be, the prompt might be to, like, finally... You know, it's like when you think, I need to diet, and you keep putting it off and putting it off. Maybe there are people here thinking, I need to do something about my credit card and all this, and we're putting it off and off. Just at some point, you've got to say, okay, I'm going to start a plan for paying it back, and I'm going to cut up the card and stop spending on it. And then the second thing is maybe think, how do our finances represent our priorities and values? If we looked at the way we use our finances, what are they saying about us that we would make us feel uncomfortable? You know, oh, you know these, these, all these things that we pay for, these things that we put first, what might we be uncomfortable about? What positive things are we bought into with every other aspect of our life that our finances aren't echoing as well? And what might we want to do about it? We have been given much. And so much is required of us. And we've been trusted with much. And this all boils back to Jesus. Jesus spent everything he had for the sake of us. You know, he left his riches behind and came and lived among us. And there's another verse in the Bible that says that God loves people who give cheerfully, not out of obligation. And Jesus did this. It says in, the, in Romans, it says, because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross and its shame. <laughs>